Good afternoon, my name is Francisco Insa and I am going to give the course on effectivity. I suppose that the reason they have chosen me is because of my curriculum, because right now I am a priest. I am dedicated to the formation of people of the work in the Roman college. But before that I did medicine and psychiatry. This course will integrate the professional work that I have had until now. On the one hand, someone who knows about psychology and who can give theoretical and practical foundations and, on the other hand, someone with experience in spiritual direction, who can make a synthesis. We will see to what extent it is useful so that what you are interested in, which is a certain theoretical foundation, to apply to the work of formation, can be achieved as far as possible. Thank you all very much for coming. And thank you also to those who have invited me to give this course of formation. Of effectivity. For those of you who are interested in downloading the slides, you can access this link, which I will leave permanently. Also, for our viewers who listen to us from their homes. In this way some texts that may be a little long. I have made them long precisely so they can be consulted calmly via the internet. I will not read them but each one if he is interested he can take a look. The first session would be what is personality and how is it manifested. But before that, we would have to justify the course in some way. Why are we doing a course on formation of effectivity? This is a phrase from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians, May your whole being spirit, soul, and body, be preserved and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is very frequent to speak of the work with souls, of attending to souls, and these are expressions that we understand, but which we understand as metonymy, of a part for the whole. Because we do not attend to souls, we attend to people, and people not only have what would be the Numa, the immortal and spiritual soul, but they also evidently have a body. And we have a part that is there, in between. Which is the psyche, which would include emotions, thoughts, affections. To which we must also pay attention, and which is more difficult to fit into the Thomistic explanation, which is the one. We are more used to, the pairs matter form, body soul. Substance accident Because affections are part of both the body and the immortal soul. It is not easy, because a depression is not due to an illness of the body, but to say that it is an illness of the immortal soul does not quite fit either. So with the Pauline expression, which has a platonic origin, we can find a locus where we can encompass what we are going to say. A quote that seemed very pertinent to me, from our father's instruction for directors, which can put us in the context of the whole course in general. Goes like this, I know that you directors are determined to accept both spiritual and professional responsibility, that of the office, which is a secular professional task. The assignments, the positions of formation and government. 
live from a professional perspective. And all companies have also courses. A permanent formation. That is to say, during working hours, instead of producing. You form yourself, and that is what we are doing during these hours. And furthermore, our father says, this obliges you to be psychologists. We have also heard. Our father say, priests, when they speak of psychology, are mistaken. Therefore, I am going to make a lot of mistakes, in fact, I already know that there are things that I am going to say. In a voluntarily simplified way. There are people here who know about psychology and psychiatry and who are going to say, this is not perhaps wrong, but it's incomplete. I am not going to quote authors, schools, things that would be more academic. But I am going to take an eclectic view, so that it will be more useful. For what interests you, which is not to know that there are 93 recognized schools of psychology, but what do I need to know to carry out the work? A formation? This obliges us, we continue with the phrase of our father, to be psychologists. To know the people, your brothers in the first place, the people around you, those you have to deal with, etc., etc. And in the letter after the Congress, the present father also insists on the same idea, to favor specific actions, what could be more specific than this course, for the ongoing professional formation of those who participate in the task of directing the apostolic work to improve our capacities of government and direction of persons and teams. And this is another phrase, also from that same letter, in which in a very human way, this reaching not only the immortal soul but also the psyche, reaching the person in his integrity, in that unity of soul and body, or of soul, psyche, and spirit intelligence, will, heart, fostering interior freedom, to nourish confidence in grace, voluntarism and sentimentalism, to present the ideal of Christian life without confusing it with perfectionism, teaching to live with one's own weakness and that of others. I will not dwell too much on the more supernatural part, especially since you already know it. Then, it seems to me that it would be repeating something that is already known by all, that we have in the means of spiritual formation, the individual, the collective. I am going to focus more on the psychological part, starting from these two phrases of St. Thomas Aquinas. It is always good to quote St. Thomas, right, because one says, this guy must be saying important things. Well, grace presupposes nature. And grace does not suppress nature but perfects it. I usually say, grace elevates nature, but if nature is corrupt, we don't have a healthy elevated nature, but grace will elevate that corrupt or sick nature. However we want to put it, but it will still be sick. So, how can we fix it, too, so that little by little nature too will evolve in a positive way, so that grace will raise something healthy, something great, something noble. We begin with some basic concepts, a little theoretical, but that will be the foundation of the rest of the classes. Personality. I'm not going to read this slide. When I give a talk of this type, I usually begin by taking a survey, what is personality for you? And all these characteristics come out. The elements which personality or a 
definition of personality should have? So far I have read some books on personality and I have to admit that I am not convinced by any of the definitions of personality that I have found. And that's why I've had to make my own. It is possible that I have read it somewhere and do not remember where. But it is not exactly a definition. But how personality is reflected, how it manifests itself, which is precisely the title we have given to this first class. We could say that personality is the stable way of relating to oneself, to one's own internal emotions, to that inner turmoil, to one's annoyances, to one's downs, to one's joys, to others. And within this others there is also God, because God is also a person. And with the world, with the things that happen to me in either a planned or an unexpected way. Knowing one's personality also helps us to be predictable, allowing for free choice, but I know how each one of us will function. I know who I can give a task to, and I can forget about it because he will do it well, because he is a responsible person, and who it is the one that I have to chase a little more. I know how I have to give news to a person, because he will take it better or worse, how to make a correction to each one, because each one has a different way of relating to himself, or to the one who is going to give him the news, to a painful event that has happened to him. There are distinctions in the mental process, in the process of the psyche, between thoughts, or preconceptions which are usually at the base, and emotions. Consequence of the thoughts. A thought, for example, would be, nobody loves me. An emotion would be, if someone gives me a hard time or doesn't greet me in the morning. I feel bad. And then comes behavior, I answer badly. What would be ideal for a person who is dedicated to the formation of others? To trace the process back to the beginning. Sometimes they will tell us, but many times they are not aware of what is happening to them, of this process. But if I manage to help him see, based on his behavior, to see why he has acted this way. I've acted like this because I felt bad. And why did you feel bad? Because I have thought this way. That way the person knows that we know him better and he knows himself better. So he is able to fix those distorted thoughts. For example, nobody loves me. We distinguish in personality between temperament, which would be those traits that are more genetic, biological, inherited, and so on. There is also the character, which has to do with how the person has evolved, his education, his training, how he himself has been trying to improve and soften the most difficult traits, the rough edges that his character has, and temperament and character form. The personality, which is what we see. Personality can be dissected. When I teach women this is the most neutral slide. I've found of a dissection, but still the women, jump. Well, when you dissect an animal, maybe we remember in our biology classes in elementary school, when they dissected the frog, and they told us, this is the heart, this is the lung. Because we are going to try to do a little dissection of the personality. 
The dissection is useful for knowing each of the elements but it has the risk of absolutizing it, because one element is only understood in integration with the others. I only understand the lung if I know that it is related to the heart and the trachea and the mouth. But if I see the lung as something absolute, then I don't understand it. Well, personality traits would be the basic units into which we can divide personality. There are many personality traits that are closely related to each other. For example, a person who is obsessive is usually also insecure and often has perfectionist traits. Therefore, they could be grouped into a block that could be more or less hierarchical. There are things that are more at the base, more in the background, more in the core of the person and others that manifest themselves better. But there have been researchers who have said, and won't there be traits or groups of traits that are independent of each other? And several research groups have independently concluded that there are independent groups of traits which are called ocean and we have them here. It's the big five. And they would be neuroticism, we'll see that a little bit later. We'll develop it a little bit, extroversion, openness to change, friendliness and responsibility and what does this have to do with an ocean well it has to do with English it is the initial letter of every English word openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness neuroticism what is the most basic thing that gives us the explanation of these traits that are grouped together this is my own chart and helps us to see what is characteristic of each of these personality traits. Openness to change. The poet versus the engineer. What is? The poet. The guy who has a great sensitivity to his own emotions. And to the emotions of others. He's a person who lives very well, who handles. Himself very well with people, because he captures nuances, he's pleasant, he's empathetic. He has the problem that he suffers a lot, precisely because he is so sensitive. The engineer, I apologize, in case there is an engineer here, is the guy. Who says, stop messing around and go to the practical, do not give me theories, that you are having. A bad day, get to work, and stop messing around, we are all tired. Underneath I have put the features only in positive, and each one would have to turn around to see in negative what the engineer would have. Responsibility. It would be the conscientious one versus the happy one. The guy who is orderly, with a sense of duty, discipline, and so on, who is in high danger of becoming a perfectionist, which we will talk about in another class, and the happy guy, who will worry less, who lives much more easily, but who makes people nervous. People will say, hey, let's all pitch in. The happy one is a very unreliable and very inefficient guy. As far as extroverts and introverts are concerned, I think the advantages and disadvantages of each one are very clear. The affable and the taciturn. One would say, is everything negative with the taciturn one? But I have not found a better word. The affable one is a very open, very empathetic guy. 
We have a lot of chit-chat in Seville. Your house is mine, we can meet whenever you want. We'll have a beer, etc. But he's too malleable in the extreme case and it's very hard for him. When he has to look bad and make a firm decision. Whereas the taciturn one is a guy who sees it and doesn't care about going against the tide. And these are the guys who often change the world. And finally the neurotic, an anxious guy. Who constantly needs the assurance of others, against. The equable and balanced, who can be slow to react, because. He has everything so controlled, his emotions, etc., that you say, man. You can't give me the same news if I've got a good grade as if my mother has just died. I'm not telling you to start crying with me, but at least show a little bit. That you sympathize with me. In relation to the latter, some classify the locus of control. Which is where I assign what happens to me, my own emotions. And the circumstances that occur in my life. People who have an external locus of control do not know why bad things happen to them. Everything is external motives, things that happen to me, which I can do nothing about. And consequently I can do nothing to change them. Everything falls on me. Their question is, why did this happen to me, why did they do this to me? The one who has the locus of internal control says, I am responsible for my life, this has been because of a failure on my part, something has failed, therefore I can do something to change it. And therefore my life is not in the hands of circumstances, but I am in control of my life. I am responsible for what happens to me. I only name the defense mechanisms of the ego. We're studying personality. As you see, from different points of view. Personality is very polyhedral. And we're seeing different ways of looking at it. The defense mechanisms of the ego are of psychoanalytic origin and it is useful to see how, in the face of something that's going to threaten the ego, the person, the most intimate thing he has, the person unconsciously puts up barriers to defend themselves. We all know, for example, about repression. Which is, I don't even think about it, I keep it in a closet. The projection, you're angry. No, you're the one who's angry, don't project your feeling onto me. Intellectualization or rationalization, which is the type that thinks. No, this happened to me because in fact, I wasn't there and so on and so forth. No, this has happened to you because you were angry and you've kicked someone into the football match. Don't tell me you have to justify it. Everyone has their own mechanisms and. The problem is not when you use one or the other but when you have developed only a few personality traits or have only a few defense mechanisms of the self. And then the phrase of an American psychologist called Abraham Maslow becomes true. He said, if your only instrument is a hammer, it's very tempting to treat all your problems as if they were nails. When we will talk about personality, from the point of view of disorders we will go deeper into this. Briefly, because we are running out of time, we can say something about the origin of insecurity, the origin of insecurity according to evolutionary psychology, attachment, which owes much to an American psychologist also with a psychoanalytic background, whose name is John Bowlby. What is attachment? 
Attachment is the relationship that a child establishes with its mother. From the infant phase. In the mother he seeks contact. First of all. The baby, when is it calm, when it is in its mother's arms. When the mother is not there, he suffers from separation anxiety, and he starts to cry. And if the attachment is healthy, when the mother returns, the child stops crying and calms down. And it is from the mother that the child explores. I don't know if you've seen. We all have experience of babies. First of all. When a strange figure appears, he puts up a little bit of a barrier, but. If the mother is there, he lets himself be cuddled and in a short time a normal baby. Is able to pass into the arms of a stranger. He explores the world and finally, if he encounters something painful. He finds refuge and calm in the mother, so the mother is the starting point. And also the arrival point. Reasons for insecure attachment. Scholars. Distinguish three types of attachment, insecure, secure, and ambivalent. We will. Simplify it into secure and insecure. What can happen? The mother's absence. There is no mother because the child is an orphan, an orphaned child. Or because it was a mother who spent a lot of time working and did not have time to establish that link, or because breastfeeding has ended too soon. Or because she is an anguished mother, then the child cries, the mother becomes even more anguished and they enter into a symmetrical escalation of anguish, and the mother has to absorb it independently. She should be already mature enough as to find her calming mechanism. It can happen that the mother is hyper-protective. And so the child doesn't explore the world. Rather the mother, in order for the child not to get hurt, doesn't let him explore, and the child then doesn't suffer the separation anxiety, and therefore he is going to be a very insecure child when life itself makes him have to face it. Or she can be an incoherent mother. The typical example is alcoholism, because it makes the mother, if she is sober, to be affectionate, empathetic, welcoming, but if she has drunk then the mother is surly and violent, and so on, and that is the worst thing for the child, even worse than a distant or overprotective mother, because the child is lost. Because if I have done something wrong and have broken something, I don't know how the level of alcohol in my mother is, whether she is going to say, don't worry about that. It didn't matter, or she is going to beat me up. And then the kid doesn't know what to do about what's happening to him. Adult attachment styles. It's been studied too. Safe, anxious, or worried, avoidance independence. Fearful avoidance. There are many places where you can go deeper. Could you play us that video you told us about that is so interesting about attachment? Well, I play it and it looks pretty natural, right? In order to explain it, a psychologist who studied monkeys, whom we see in these images, was surprised to see how important it was. For small monkeys that in a cage, without contact with their mother, he put a diaper or a piece of cloth, which was usually left on the floor of the cage. What we are going to see are some images from a film made in 1961 that describes Harlow's experiences and which already have a historical value. Harlow observed, as we are seeing, that the little monkey protested with enormous vehemence and intensity when, in order to clean the cage, 
This piece of cloth was taken from him. It was as if the little monkeys established a close relationship. With that cloth. These observations led Harlow to try to research about the importance that this apparently so small element, so irrelevant, could have for the monkey's basic needs, which were otherwise perfectly taken care of in the laboratory. From here, he carried out a series of experiments, which have become famous, in which newborn monkeys are raised for months with a mother of bare wires and a mother that was padded, without any other contact with other monkeys. The dummy which was simply made of wire had a bottle which provided all the feeding for the little monkeys. The doll, on the other hand, which was padded, did not provide any food at all. The monkey went to the wire mother to drink from the bottle, and then to the padded mother. Harlow found that the little monkeys spent 17 hours, on average, on the padded monkey, and only one hour, as long as they needed to eat. On the wire monkey. But, in addition, the bond they established with the padded, which provided no food, and only a surface with comfortable contact, was very strong. Let us see what happens when this terrifying object is put in the cage. The monkey runs to his padded mother and from her he gets the security and protection he needs. What's more, the padded monkey provides a secure base that gives him confidence and allows him to threaten the intruder, just like a real mother. Even the relationship lasts a long time. This monkey, already bigger than the previous ones, although still young, has been separated from his mother for six months without ever seeing her, and in this so expressive way he shows his affection. When he meets her, you will allow me to show you some more images. Again of a situation of fear. We are going to see a monkey that has been raised with a padded mother, which runs to take refuge in its mother when the scary object appears and one that has been raised without any kind of mother. We see the helplessness of the latter, which can only curl up on the ground and show behaviors that remind us of autistic children. From these experiences, it seemed that the need for physical contact, for warmth, to feel the contact with another skin, was something basic, and that love was not established through food. From all that we have said, there are many characteristics that condition you, but do not. Determine you for your whole life. And I like to give the example of Saint Josephine Bacchida, because she is an example of attachment, without a doubt. Insecure, a family that has to abandon her. Owners who exploit her, who abuse her, an Italian who takes her in. And finally, already mature, when her personality should have developed. In a very pathological sense, she nevertheless gets herself together. She finds God, she finds the meaning and joy of giving herself to others. 
God's grace together with human effort is able to heal the deepest biographical wounds. Now, Saint Josephine Bacchida, who had this life. And I usually add, without needing to go to the psychologist, but I am convinced. It is one of the tasks I have pending, to read a couple of good biographies about her. Not hagiographies, which tend to tiptoe through certain things. I am convinced that she had a personality deficit that she won through struggle. Now, her relationships. She would have nightmares. She would have things that would make her suffer, in spite of which she achieved balance. She achieved the gift of giving herself to others and she achieved happiness and holiness. Thank you very much. Yes, once at work my boss told me, you have to change your way of thinking. Because if not you limit yourself. And well, I wanted to know if you could tell me. Something in this regard. Okay. Would you mind telling me what? Your way of thinking is? No, that's true, we've seen it but very quickly. The cognitive school. There's been. A slide where we've seen, thoughts, emotions, behaviors. And the cognitive school, I already said that I didn't want to get into school issues. So as not to be too academic and go a little bit more into practical. Repercussions, says that one has his pre-comprehensibility schemata. From which one receives the inputs from the people in the world or from. What happens to me? which are the three aspects of the personality that we have seen. And generate emotions, and from emotions there come behaviors. Example of a pre-comprehensibility schemata, the perfectionist. If I don't do everything right, it's not worth trying. This will lead me to this, when I face a real difficulty in which I will not be able to have. A perfect result, for example, I have to prepare a subject that I know I will not only not get an A, but I will be at risk and maybe I will not even be able to pass. I will get depressed and then comes the behavior, which is that I will not take the exam. If one doesn't know oneself well, one stays stuck there, which is, I'm not taking the exam. And that's why there was the arrow on the other side of the slide which said that you have to retrace the steps. Why didn't you take the exam? Because I was down. Because I ran out of time and I wasn't able to prepare the subject well. Because I have those perfectionist preconceptions. That make me not risk failure. I prefer. Not to fail. Asterix and Mafalda are great. They have a lot of popular wisdom. So you know about the Asterix pirates, don't you? That whenever Asterix gets on a ship, he meets the pirates. With the little black guy on top, he goes, takes the potion, Asterix and Obelix go and destroy the ship. The ship sinks and in the end the little guy in black is the last one left is on the main mast. Well, there's a particular Asterix comic strip in which they see Asterix coming from afar and one of them says to the little captain, Hey, why don't we sink the ship ourselves this time? And save ourselves the beating? Well, that would be the schemata of comprehensibility. There is a lot to read and. In particular, 
in the bibliography I have not included anything about cognitive psychology, but it seems to me that there is a lot of bibliography. Above all, and when we talk about perfectionism, which we will develop in depth, we will give some insights that are a little more specific.